0: Hello and welcome back to Revolutionary Ideas, the monthly podcast of Marxism from Socialist Alternative. One central issue for socialists is the oppression of women. From the very earliest class societies, women's oppression has been central to oppression in other areas of life, including in the workplace. But how is that the case? Why is that? And what can socialists, workers, trade union activists do to challenge this? Last week, we talked about the Marxist view of women's oppression and how we should understand it in terms of its roots in class society and its roots in class exploitation. The episode ended with a discussion on Frederick Engels' Marxist classic, The Origin of the Family, Private Property and the State, which the panel refers to at the start of this panel discussion. Now we will cover the record of the Bolsheviks and the record of past socialist organisations and socialist movements and uncover the real record of our organisation, International Socialist Alternative, in fighting for real gains for women through methods of mass struggle. Like last week, Yara will be interviewing Sarah Rack from Socialist Alternative's political committee and also Katia Hanker from Socialist Alternative's sister organisation in Ireland, the Socialist Party, And she's also an activist with Rosa, the Socialist Feminist Campaign.
1: So I think that kind of leads me to another question that I have uh, about not just this book, but the impact it had on the real world, you know. So I was wondering, first of all, what was kind of the impact they had when it came out? And also, obviously, a few decades later, we've started seeing a lot of revolutions going around the world and especially i think the russian revolution that's obviously incredibly significant and the historical sense of the working class but also of women um it really changed the position of women and also you know started from a woman a, a women's struggle so i was wondering what 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 do you think about that and how do you think those two connect
2: i think the very closely connected Um, and it's another aspect of the book that makes it so interesting you know so this book was written in 1884 just a few years before that in 1879 Babel had published his book uh, Women and Socialism so there was clearly an interest within the socialist movement to come to grips with women's oppression and how it was linked to capitalism to class society But it wasn't just left at like a theoretical understanding and now we're happy, look, we know where it's coming from, you know, Um, it was also taken up, especially by the revolutionary left within the Second International, as a real tool to start organizing women who for the first time were drawn in massive numbers into the workforce. And you get people like Clara Zetkin, who, you know, spent their life within the socialist movement, um, really going out in very creative ways to bring women workers into the socialist movement, to get women workers organized in trade unions, and to to uh, to assist women to get politically active in this period of enormous change uh, for for uh, for 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 women workers in particular, who for the first time find themselves you know outside of the home, working in this huge socialized um, um, environment, and. Um, you know, participating in strikes and often starting to become the most radicalized section of working of, of workers. You know, for in many ways, the this, 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 still the same reasons are there today because women were lower paid than men, they were more exploited than men, they were also car- carrying this double burden of 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 all the domestic tasks that uh, that, that were facing them. And you know, let's you know. in end of the 19th century, no washing machines, (laughs) no dishwashers. This was a a whole lot worse again, you know, no childcare. Um, And you see this massive radicalization of women um, first in the 1890s through a strike wave, but then especially with the first world war where even more women internationally are drawn into the workforce and women really come to the fore in worker struggles uh, um, uh, right across the world, particularly in Russia, actually
3: yeah I think it's a really interesting point about like this period of kind of revolutionary history that um, both the revolutionaries recognized the importance of um, organizing turning to women workers who, like Katia said were there was this big influx into the workforce that if you were going going to be successfully organizing workers, you had to pay special attention to women workers um, and that, that that was a it wasn't just this is important but that they were active in that that there were really um revolutionary in all senses of the word initiatives taken um and particularly driven by um some women revolutionaries uh like Katia mentioned clara zetkin who as you can imagine will have had to fight against some resistance to those kind of initiatives but did fight and um you know had really successful impact um, as was kind of most uh, most demonstrated, I think, in the Russian Revolution and and what came afterwards.
2: It's really interesting to trace that activism of female revolutionaries and how it actually correlates with uh, the, the, the debates that were happening within uh, the, the socialist movement at the time between reformists and revolutionaries, you know, because it's the reformists who are arguing against organizing women, generally speaking, And who look at women as the most backward section of the working class. They're too difficult to organize. They actually undermine the wages of men. And what we need to do, therefore, is force women back into the home, you know, where revolutionaries say the opposite, right? And I think that that does link back to that very central concept that Marx and Engels, from the Communist Manifesto all the way through, pushed, of the importance of self-emancipation. So, yes, Engels analyzes the root causes of women's oppression but then revolutionaries all the way through combine that with the idea of the only people who can fight women's oppression are first and foremost women workers themselves coming to the fore and leading that struggle and then in that struggle building solidarity and common cause with other workers but it's absolutely crucial that women are, are central in, 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 in uh, uh, fighting their own oppression and therefore the logical conclusion is of, of that Is that you're going to try and organize women workers and are you going to assist women in special initiatives to get politically active and to overcome the double burden that they are 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 suffering from in terms of exploitation and oppression and you see that in the initiatives that uh, are taken in Germany but you see it also in, in in the initiatives that are taken by the Bolshevik party from 1914 onwards consciously targeting female sectors of, 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 of the economy, the big t- textile uh, industry, and so on, but also community initiatives of, uh, of, of, of trying to assist women to become politically active, to join their party, and to actually play a real role in the political struggle that was developing so quickly in that period.
1: Yes, and I completely agree with that. And I also think that it like the impact of that showed, you know, women being organized, led to this revolution to actually happen that's what started the revolutionary period in russia at the time you know a struggle of of, uh, textile workers and i think that it's incredibly important but it's also incredibly important to see that women didn't just organize before and were radicalized by that that double burden that they had and it's not just that they kind of led the revolution which is something i think that is not talked about enough in history we keep hearing about those prominent male fi- figures as much as they were great and, you know, an inspiration and also had really progressive positions about women's oppression too. I think it's not just Marx and Engels, the wrote massively about how important, how, like, how much uh, the, the oppression of women is at the core of class society in the capitalist system. It was also Trotsky. It was also Lenin who were talking about this a lot. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't just, the role of women in the revolution or in the pre-revolutionary period it's also the role of women after the revolution in creating the society and also you know in in bringing out that those rights and those victories into the women's movement so i was wondering if um if we can talk a little bit about the position of women and how it's changed after the revolution as well
2: All those things are linked, aren't they? Because if you get more women workers being central to the struggle, they're also going to feel more confident to bring their own experience of of women's oppression and and, and the issues that are associated with that to the heart of the struggle and to the heart of the changes that are being made uh, in the course of the revolution and uh, immediately after uh, the revolution. And it's actually, it's incredibly inspiring to look at what the Bolsheviks achieved within years of uh, uh, after uh, the 1917 Russian Revolution. Um, and maybe just to give a few examples, because I think many people on the left uh, would be vaguely aware of the kind of legal changes that that, that were brought in uh, in 1918, 1919. they made uh, abortion legal, LGBT people were no longer uh, um, in any way uh, legally oppressed. They made divorce possible. They also gave women uh, proper maternity care and proper legal rights to maternity leave and so on and so forth and many, many other examples. But I think what is even more interesting to discuss is that they only saw that as a starting point. They saw that as like the very bare minimum that had to just, you know, get that out of the way, at least legally all that is sorted, you know, equal pay and so on. But now we need to start a real fight of actually dealing with the uh, hundreds of years of ideological oppression uh, that, that, that has accompanied um, um, the oppression of women. You know, the, 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 um, the extremely patriarchal, backward society uh, that, that Russia uh, still was in uh, in 1917 and how do you challenge all that? So they set up this uh, women's organization, Gen Hotel, um, which was meant to assist women to realize uh, the newfound rights that that they had been given, Um, but also to assist women to become more politically active, more involved in this new state and get, you know, get more of a stake and a say in how things could be organized and so on. So you get on an economic level, um, the setting up of canteens, Uh, childcare facilities, literacy circles, because illiteracy was still a a massive deal and so on. But you also get specific schemes where they take women workers and give them internships into uh, parts of the state apparatus. So the organizing of new departments, uh, women workers are brought into them to feed in their own experience in terms of what they think would work best but also to learn new skills in terms of administration and so on and so forth, which they then at the end of their one year internship can take back to the area where they live and in their own community implement and so on and so forth. And you're talking about a a program on a massive scale. Uh, Krupskaya um, talks in the the early 1930s of the fact that probably nearly 10 million people were delegates, you know, were part of this intern uh, scheme, you know. So there was an enormous impetus after the revolution to make, to fight oppression in every way possible, legally, economically, but also socially, ideologically, psychologically, um, you know, and 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 even sexually in terms of the enormous uh, outburst of, uh, of 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 sexual liberation uh, amongst the new generation of people who realized all these newfound freedoms were actually possible now.
3: I always think that it's you have to kind of step back and think about when this was 1917 and the position facing women in most of the world at that time and just how much um, revolutionary progress was made for women in such a short space of time. Um, And I think I I agree um, with what you're saying, Katia, that kind of the most interesting thing about it, it, in a sense, um, is yes, the legal advances were excellent and essential and you know all the communal laundries and canteens and everything uh made a huge difference no doubt um but the kind of the 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 realization that none of those things would change overnight the experience of ordinary women on the ground and they wouldn't change overnight the attitudes that existed including amongst working class including amongst revolutionaries in fact because as we kind of discussed those things are very deeply embedded within the kind of very nature of society. And so taking a conscious approach to continuing, even once you've changed, uh, you've carried out this major transformation of society, to continuing a conscious approach to try to, in every way, tackle um, those attitudes and and to really work on the, um, yeah, striving for the maximum involvement of women at every level of society. Um, and that that's something that, you know, was really taken very seriously by the, the Bolsheviks at every stage. And actually, I was just reading about the 1905 revolution, which is kind of the um, precursor to the 1917 practice run, if you like. <laughs> um, that in that the um, there was a, a very small proportion of members of the, the Bolshevik party were women, um, but a much higher than that proportion. Uh, of their delegates to the Soviet were women. So, the, you know, they, from that early stage, kind of disproportionately, we need to make sure that women are playing um, more than a proportionate uh, role in the revolutionary process to try and overcome the, the, the situation um, that they're facing. And I think, yeah, that all of those um, initiatives that katy that referenced are, you know, really inspirational even today, let alone when you think about the time that they were kind of working in.
1: Yeah, I really agree with that. And I think that also, you know, even today, obviously we still live under a capitalist system, uh, but even today, like, it's it's a conscious effort that we're trying to make in not just radicalizing women, but also giving women positions of leadership and uh, also involving them in every stage of kind of, like, political activity. And we still see that even today, you know, the, these these... Perceptions and these kind of power relations are so entrenched in society; they're so endemic to the system that they're not going to go away in one day. You can change legality in one day, uh, and that was done, but you can't change first of all the internalized sexism the women have. And you know, we we see that in everywhere in the classroom. We see that women are less likely to speak, even though women are still you know, like are now legally allowed to go to university and women in, in some countries like in Britain have a higher percentage uh, in universities. They're still less in kind of, uh, in, in positions of power. They still even speak less in lectures. And I think, that, I think that's something that is not going to go away the day after the revolution. It's something that needs to be consciously dealt with. And if we're talking about today, I also wanted to kind of bring the conversation to the last few decades or even the last decade that I think has seen massive progress in terms of women going out, fighting and struggling uh, against the system and against uh, women's oppression. You know, we've had at the beginning of the last decade, we had this massive slut walk movement that became international. Um, and was kind of feeding off the kind of revolutionary wave that was happening at the time uh, with the, without the connection to women's oppression. But then as this, the the decade progressed, we've also seen, we, we mentioned the Me Too movement a little bit before, but we've seen this movement that's genuinely started changing so much about the way that we kind of talk about the position of women in society, but also brought some, you know, tangible changes even if not enough Um, so I was wondering first of all do you think that these movements kind of signify a change within the capitalist system or do you think that socialism is still relevant?
3: Well firstly I think that the the movements that have taken place in the last decade have been some of the most inspirational that have taken place um, in that decade um, you know, Yari mentioned uh, a whole number of them the, the movements against violence against women in Latin America, for abortion rights in Poland and Ireland, which I think uh, Katia should um, speak about. Um, I think they have kind of inspired, particularly a young a generation of young people, um, to be interested in changing society in a general way as well as you know starting from the the specific issue of the oppression of women and they've been movements that are very determined very radical um that have uh instinctive internationalism that are you know linking up between the movements in different um places which is really significant um but also have a, a very kind of fundamental questioning of the way have led to a, a very fundamental questioning of the way that society is and recognition that it doesn't have to have to be like that i think if you look at on a whole number of um different factors the attitudes of um young people now compared to young people 15 years ago for example there's been some really uh, huge transformations in attitudes towards um gender and uh, you know a whole, a whole load a whole number of um, other other things, and so socialist alternative um, in Britain and international socialist alternative around the world have been really participating in all these movements because they 're so important um, and what you know one of the things that we raise in them all is how can they win that's the question for us is um, inspirational movements are just that they're inspirational but the question is how can they achieve um, real change and I think for that we do have to go back to kind of what we've discussed earlier in the discussion of the fundamental fact remains that um, the oppression of women and in all its forms is inherently linked to the capitalist system and so for these movements to have um, significant and lasting uh, effects. Which I think is what the majority of people involved in them are, are wanting to wanting to win, um, then they need to uh, be challenging capitalism um, and and trying to link the, the immediate demands that they're raising to the need to transform society fundamentally in order to, to change that oppression.:
1: yeah, I completely agree with that, and I think the that what you mentioned about kind of the abortion rights fight in Ireland is a really good example because it was a victory but even even after that victory within the confines of capitalism it's still something that's always going to be threatened by the capitalist establishment and it's always going to be you know something that they, like the, when, we, when we're not looking might be taken away and I was wondering Kai, can you tell us a little bit about your involvement in that campaign and um, what What was done and how
2: how this campaign succeeded I think that campaign is maybe um, actually a really good example of how the points that Sarah made in a general way actually also very practically have an impact on the tactics and strategy and your thinking around how you can win a campaign because I think as socialist feminists we um, we re- Completely invested in making sure that we won abortion rights uh, here in Ireland, but we certainly had differences with other um, other feminists uh, here about how it could be done. And I think one of the key things that made us stand out from from, uh, from other groups that was that we had way more confidence in um, the willingness of ordinary people, of working class people. Um, to have moved way beyond what was the conventional wisdom of what was acceptable and isn't acceptable in Ireland, you know, this kind of um, leprechaun green version of of what Irish people are supposed to be, where we actually said, like, look, there's been a massive change for, uh, in particular, women uh, since the 90s in terms of their their living conditions, uh, every every aspect of their lives, Uh, And and for working people in general and they have moved way beyond this control that would have been there Maybe a generation ago of the Catholic Church Um, people, you know, people's attitudes around uh, sexuality and around abortion are way ahead of where the establishment are so Conclusion for us was we base ourselves on ordinary people. We base ourselves on working-class people to push this change through against the wishes of the establishment, which are much more conservative, where many of the the, the traditional feminists, uh, bourgeois feminists here in Ireland would have been uh, very focused on step by step, gently, slowly, uh, convincing the establishment that change is needed because that's where the change is gonna come. We always said change comes from below. Change comes from mobilizing all those people who see that change is needed to become active around that change. And actually the repeal movement was just that. It was a massive outburst from below, especially led by a young generation, a new generation coming out onto the streets, uh, organizing demonstrations, organizing strikes, but also taking radical action in terms of, of uh, openly defying the law, uh, making abortion pills available and turning them into a political weapon, saying like, no longer is there just the escape file of Irish people having to travel mainly to England in secret to get an abortion. Abortion is happening here on this island right now. We're breaking the law right in front of you. And what are you going to do about it? And really pushing those boundaries um, uh, out and forcing the establishment uh, uh, to a confrontation of either you're going to actually start locking up young working class women fighting for their rights uh, because of an antiquated law that is being broken every day anyway, or you're actually being forced to go with the change, and reluctantly, that's what the establishment did. And God did they struggle with uh, adjusting to it. But th- because of the tactics we used of really pushing abortion um, happening in Ireland to the forefront, we didn't just win very limited abortion rights, we actually won quite good legislation in terms of, of, of abortion on demand for 12 weeks. and then then a whole rake of of, of, uh, nuances and details after that, but abortion is available. But you're also right, I mean does that mean we won uh, abortion forever after? No. Our view always was we wanted to win not just legal change, we wanted to make sure that actually abortion is available for working-class women uh, through the public health service uh, and not some kind of privilege that only those who can pay uh, can afford. For the moment that is the case, but that's with a big bot, because a lot of the hospitals are still uh, owned by the Catholic Church and therefore the Board of Management is still influenced by those uh, antiquated ideas. And there's still continuously a threat of, 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 of a pulling back of abortion uh, uh, provision in, in hospitals, in, in regions of the country and so on and so forth. So it's an ongoing fight. Because if they could, they would roll it back tomorrow. But it's only because of this massive change from below, because of this activating of, 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 of working class people, because of a younger generation of working class people talking to their parents and winning them over uh, to, to, to also get active around this, that we're actually, for the moment, uh, uh, still have access to, to what should be a universal right.
1: Yeah, and I think that's, you know, the key point of all of it, of all of what we've been talking about today, that like, if the capitalist system is benefiting from the oppression of women, if if the the capitalist system is benefiting from opposition as, you know, oppressed, then they're not going to just give us the freedom that we need. They're not just going to liberate us. I mean, even if they want to do and they don't, they wouldn't be able to liberate women completely because of the reliance of the system on the oppression of women. But even those you know, victories um, of like, you know, some aspects of liberation are not gonna just be given to us. And even if we win them, we'll still need to fight to maintain them. And I think in the last few years, especially, we've seen some movements use tactics that maybe people before have kind of deemed old fashioned or old world or something that no one's gonna ever do again, like strikes. And I was wondering, what, what, what do we think about those tactics of striking, you know, um, joining unions? What, what is the role of the unions in fighting for women's liberation?
3: Yeah, I think that it's a, a really interesting thing that many of these movements in different countries have turned back to um, the method of strike, like you say. But in general, the methods of mass struggle. Um, because you know, prior to the last decade, there was kind of a prevailing idea that the, the time for mass struggle was over, and the way now for women to, to win liberation was mainly through individual action and through you know individual women standing up against discrimination, maybe getting into boardrooms, uh, becoming elected politicians, those kind of things. Um, which maybe is a whole other discussion about whether that actually benefits working-class women in any way but uh, I think you know that that is a really positive turn from our point of view that there is um, I think an instinctive understanding uh, amongst this generation of feminists that um, there is a need for the mass participation of people um, of all genders in fact in the fight against um, the oppression of women and that's really positive. I suppose that the issue of the trade unions which would be maybe kind of the traditional bodies who have used the tactic of the strike um, is an interesting one uh, and slightly different because I think the first thing to say is that in general on an international scale the trade unions have not played the role that they should have done in these movements and um, that they've kind of stood back and not seen the significance of the the anger that exists on these issues and the, the struggle that's um, taking place but I think that that is not necessarily uh, a lasting fact. That's related to all kinds of problems that exist within the trade unions and failures of leadership, a shift to the right in those unions, which maybe should form a podcast within itself. Um, But uh, the point for us is that what the trade unions represent is the organisation within the workplace of the working class. And because of everything we've discussed earlier in this discussion, Uh, we see the working class as being the force within society that has the potential power to bring about change.
2: Yeah, I think it's incredibly inspiring to see how um, feminist movements over the last 10 years have developed and uh, the the strategies and tactics they're adopting. Um, I think that aspect of uh, instinctual international solidarity is incredibly inspiring uh, and it really, you know, it's not just um, feminist struggles where where you can see that the environmental movement, many other movements also have that same kind of characteristic. But for instance, I know that here in Ireland, the struggle for abortion rights was directly inspired by some of the tactics used in Poland Um, And and the idea of a a women's strike, which was tried out first in Poland, was implemented, adapted and implemented in Ireland into a strike full stop, which wasn't exclusively for women. And then that inspired actions in in, in Argentina directly, you know. So you can see how this movement truly is international in terms of drawing lessons uh, from from fellow struggles uh, across the world. And that's a really, really positive uh, thing, I think. It also points towards this um, innate instinct for the need to get organized amongst working people. Um, and I think the idea of, 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 of getting organized, to be able to organize a strike and so on, um, obviously poses the question of, 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 of unionization, of workplace organization in some kinds, and traditionally that would be through the trade unions. Um, and really, Certainly in Ireland, it's been a pity that the trade unions haven't engaged themselves in, in, in that struggle um, um, so far. Um, and I think they missed out on an opportunity to organize a new generation of workers who are mainly working in non-unionized sectors in very precarious jobs and so on and so forth. But if you look at the broader um, developments that are happening, the idea that people are starting to use strikes, that people see the centrality of, 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 of workplace struggles in terms of fighting on a whole range of issues, not just purely economic struggles related to the workplace, but also political issues, broader issues of oppression and so on and so forth, that does point to a, a rejuvenation of, 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 of union struggles. And you can actually see some of that happening in the US in terms of teacher strikes and so on, where, you know, once again, being unionized is given a new meaning, a much more radical meaning, a much more, rele- much more relevancy. And I think that's really important for us to, to register and, uh, and, and and to be in and around. Um, last weekend in Belgium, health workers went out on the street, um, got massive solidarity from other sectors of the economy. And again, kind of used their workplace power to highlight a whole number of issues, including the low uh, low pay in the sector, because it's a, it's an overwhelmingly female sector um, and linking those issues of oppression with, uh, with, with the need for, uh, for solidarity amongst working class people and the need to organize in their workplaces.
1: Yeah, I think those are really, really good points. And especially, I think, the, the, the point that you've made about how those struggles around the world are inspiring one another. And I think that that is kind of like a central point of what Marxists have been saying for like over 100 years now, um, that kind of the system is a global system and the fight against it has to be international. And it's not just in, you know, the t- in terms of solidarity, it's not just in terms of learning from one another, but it's also in terms of fighting together and organizing together on a national but also international um, level to fight those international issues. And I think that is a great and inspiring point to finish on. Um, I think this, this has been really, really interesting. Um, I think both, like, you know, hearing about the history and the theory behind the oppression of women, but also how we're going to fight it and why is, like, I think Sarah said, well, what's the most, you know, effective way to actually win the liberation of women, which I think we managed to touch on Uh, even though we might not have had the time to, uh, you know, draw out a full program. But if the uh, listeners want to learn more about what we think is the way to go forward with the struggle and, of course, read more about our analysis of women's oppression and the way to fight it, then uh, please go to our website. Um, It's going to be linked in the description And of course, join us. Uh, If you're in uh, England, Wales and Scotland, you can always go uh, to our website and register there. Or of course, go to the internationalsocialist.net website uh, and register there too, if you're out of England, Wales and Scotland. So it was great talking to you. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Katya. And thank you for everyone listening. See you next month.
0: If you like what you've heard in this episode... I want to urge you to get in contact with Socialist Alternative today. Go to socialistalternative.net where we have information on various upcoming events, different news stories, our analysis on what's happening around the world and information on how you can get in touch and take part in the fight for socialism. Go to our Facebook page which is socialistalternative, ISA, England, Wales and Scotland. For our Instagram, go to socialistalternative. Dot Ews for TikTok it's socialist underscore vids and finally for Twitter it's socialist alt-EWS